Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into the Ed Templeton interview, I wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. PicDrop's a really great tool for whenever you need to send off your files to your clients or whoever you're working with. You can create private galleries, uh, different folders for whatever various assignments you're doing. Um, it's just a really great way to organize everything in one spot. I've been using it for a few year, a uh, few months now, and uh, it's just really helped me kind of streamline my workflow. For years, I was using like Dropbox and WeTransfer and things like that. But with PicDrop, it was actually designed by photographers, so they really understand what photographers need. And with today's podcast, if you enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, you're going to get three months free when you sign up at PickDrop.com. So definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think. And remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, and you'll get three months free when you sign up at PickDrop.com. And without further ado, we'll get into the Ed Templeton interview. Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer and artist Ed Templeton. Ed Templeton is a professional skateboarder, photographer, painter, graphic designer, just a real uh, creative force. He's just done so much. Um, I've been following his work for a while now. Um, he's just kind of photographed his daily life, is kind of on the streets and different people he runs into um he does a really interesting series on his instagram called the huntington beach pier uh, where he just kind of goes down daily and photographs different characters and uh, much of his work has been shown around the world in galleries in london new york copenhagen um just an amazing artist um can't thank him enough for taking the time to come on here um so i hope you guys enjoy this one and thanks so much All right. Well, uh, Ed Templeton, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, how you doing today, man? I'm all right. Just just getting up and uh, getting my wits about me. That's good, man. You know, one thing I was kind of interested in talking to you about is like you you're a really well known professional skateboarder. Um, now, really well known photographer. You've been interviewed a lot of times. Uh, is the interview process like? Do you ever take anything away from it? Is it ever enjoyable, or is it usually this kind of like a pain in the ass, or is it something, do you ever learn anything about your own work just kind of talking about it? Yeah, definitely. I think that the process of having to explain yourself or talk about your work is a kind of a, a great therapy a great uh, exercise in, you know, when I go back out actually to shoot, I think about things that we we spoke about hearing someone else say something about your work that maybe you didn't think about or you didn't, uh, you didn't notice yourself is always interesting and it kind of helps you as you're moving forward. So, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've, I definitely have done a lot of interviews and and uh, both typed out and in person. But um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I think it does. I think it does help. It's a good. It's a good exercise. No, it's interesting, man. Because like I grew up skateboarding, so I've like read all your skateboard interviews in the skate mags, and now with all your photography. So it's kind of interesting, kind of hearing uh, both sides. It's kind of different, but it's it's exciting and. You know, kind of getting ready for this interview, I was looking at your Instagram, and just yesterday, Instagram took down one of your photos 
that I believe you shot for Vogue. Uh, maybe you could speak a little bit about that. It was kind of uh, interesting why they took it down, I guess. Yeah, that was... Uh, so I had been invited by Vogue to go shoot the L.A. Pride Parade. Um, the woman I work with who is works as a photo agent for me get me some jobs here and there um she set it up and so yeah we just went to the pride parade oh the 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 point of it was they they had seen my book uh teenage kissers and that was the point they were like hey would you go shoot people kissing at the la pride parade and uh you know we'll run a little online thing showing these kissing photos and i was like okay that sounds fun i was thinking about going to pride anyway to shoot just cause it's always an interesting situation up there. Mm. And, uh, so now I'm going to, you know, have my film at least paid for, um, they don't pay a lot. They don't pay a lot of money <laughs> for this kind of stuff. Um, but I think my processing would be paid for. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I go up there and shoot it all and whatever and, uh, have fun shooting. And then, uh, give them the foot, you know, they, they get the edit. It goes up. I post a bunch about it on Instagram saying, you know, Hey, check out these photos over at Vogue. And then all this just stuff happened. It was really kind of interesting. Uh, you know, one was two of the girls that I posted kissing each other ended up being porn stars, mm. really well-known porn stars by chance. I didn't know that at the time we just were approaching people that looked interesting and looked, looked cool or had interesting clothes on and, you know, trying to get photos of them. And these girls that I went up to were, were, you know, half naked. They had pasties on their nipples and were kind of prancing around almost nude. So clearly they were interesting and I went, you know, asked them for a photo and they agreed and, that was one thing. I don't, I don't think this that played a factor in what happened with Instagram, but um, you know, then uh, the other aspect of it was the light leak that happened by accident. Um, oh yeah, it was actually. I had two, it was kind of cool. Were you? Did you? Do you actually enjoy it after the fact that it happened, or not so much? Or because it was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, I think it turned out okay. I mean, so I had two cameras on me. And Deanna was there uh, assisting me, basically. So, you know, in a, at a few moments during the day, you know, sometimes I'd just rewind myself because it was kind of mellow. But at this moment, the we had come across the the religious zealots, the protesters who have their, you know, homosex is a sin sign and you're going to hell and all this stuff. Oh, was it that, like, had, that West Baptist church people, the, like, crazy people or whatever? It's basically. It's basically them. It's it's not them. It's like a California version of it. Mm. These guys at every every event, they're there doing this. But um, it's not the Westboro. It's yeah. just some California version of it. But yeah. um, you know, there's like only five or six people that show up for that. Mm-hmm. And you know, they had to like get a permit. So there's police protecting them, and there's barricades and everything. But it, there is a bunch of people on the gay pride side yelling at them, and they're yelling at each other. So I was kind of shooting that. Mm-hmm. and it was a little hectic, so I passed one of my cameras to Deanna. I'm like, hey, will you change this film? And 
I had just just got the photo. That, like I, this one guy was flipping out, mm. yelling at all the people, really getting frothy about it. Like you know, freaking out. And his boyfriend was. I could see his boyfriend trying to like go. Let's go. Let's get out of here. But he was. His boyfriend was getting so heated about it. And so, I tapped him on the shoulder. And said, "Hey, what would be cool is if you guys kissed in front of these guys." <laughs> and they kissed, but while they kissed, the guy flipped them off, you know. So he's he's sticking his arm out, like flipping them off. And I and I got the photo, and I was just like so stoked. I'm like, okay, I think that's the photo of the day. Yeah. You know, I just got the whole message encapsulated in one frame. I have the signs in the background, these two gay men kissing, and and you know the defiant flip off kind of thing. So I passed the photo camera to Dana. Hey, change this role. So she hears me say that. You know, I think as I passed her, I'm like, oh, I just got the photo of the day. We're stoked. Yeah. And then, uh, and then like five minutes later, she comes up to me and she's like, are you sure that was the role? And I was just like, yeah. She's like, I opened the camera on accident. Oh, man. <laughs> you thought I rewound it and handed it to her? Yep. And I didn't. I just I thought she was going to rewind it. Yep. And so she opened it. And so I flipped out a little bit. You know, I lost my shit. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, like, fuck, I, you know, that's all I had been doing on that camera, that had, that camera had color in it because I usually shoot black and white, but I brought uh, color as well because I thought it might, that's what Vogue wanted. So, mm. so, you know, all I had been shooting was people kissing on that camera. Yeah. So, you know, you shoot a whole roll of people. Like, that's like half the work, you know? It's like half the day. I felt like, you know, who knows how many people kissing was on that roll. So I thought, man, we just erased like two hours, three hours of work, you know? Damn, starting from scratch. Yeah, I was I was pretty bummed. And then, uh, you know, like, whatever. You have to just Roll recover from that and keep shooting. I actually went and found another couple in front of those protesters and got a different photo of them flipping them off. But that was more manufactured because I basically asked them to do that. Mm. You know, the first guy just flipped them off on his own. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And that became what was so cool about it. So there was like a spontaneous realness to that. Mm -hmm. The second one, you know, both of them are flipping them off and it looks a little more faked. Um, but, um, you know, so that was one aspect of it. And then, of course, we turned the roll in anyway and the light leaks were pretty intense, like to the point where, you know, had you been shooting someone's wedding or something, yeah. they'd be they, yeah. you know, they'd be bummed. But, uh <laughs> Or if you had a great photo that you really were stoked on and then it has this crazy light leak on it, that would be so. But a few of them actually looked so crazy. It wasn't like a full white flash. It was like these weird streaks, mm -hmm. these red streaks that went across the photo, which actually kind of made them kind of cool in a way. So, you know, we ended up using a bunch of those in for Vogue. And then, then we come back to Instagram I mean, so Instagram was fine. I mean, I posted a bunch of the photos. People seemed stoked. I was starting to get a little pushback because my problem, my particular problem is that I think most of my followers come from the skateboarding community. Mm -hmm. Not all of them, but a lot of them, you know? Yep. I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe it's 80-20, maybe it's 60-40. You know, I, I doubt it's actually 50-50. And I know this because, you know, when I post something, particularly skateboarding, it gets a lot more likes and activity than something art-related. Mm. You know, I think I have a big crossover, too. I think there's a big portion of skateboarding.
skateboarders who actually are interested in photography who follow me. And so, you know, I, you know, whatever, I, I just have an interesting mix of people, but it does primarily lean skateboarding mm-hmm. as far as I understand. So, you know, and I think we all like to think that skateboarders are progressive and forward thinking and cool, but that's just not really the case. So, so I posted, you know, these photos of a couple photos of men kissing and noticed a huge dip in followers. Wow. Like 500. It went down like 500 people, Damn. which I get that my level of like 200,000 isn't, isn't a big deal, but I kind of, I did notice it. I was like, well, that's kind of funny. Mm. You know, I posted a little story saying, Hey, it's hilarious that I'm losing followers over this. Like mm-hmm. you know, skateboarders aren't so progressive. Yep. But then Vogue posted it three times in one day. They posted three different versions of different photos of mine with tags and everything that pushed it onto, I'm sure the popular page or the explore page, you know, Mm -hmm. then I started getting even more hate from like random people worldwide, you know, where I'd get like a super weird homophobic comment and I would look, look at the account and be like, Oh, this is like someone from Russia or someone from the middle East or, you know, or you could just easily tell that they're like a religious nut. You know, you go to their profile and it's all, you know, John 316 and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, I'm like, okay, so I'm getting like, this is like, I don't think these are even my followers, you know, because I like noticed they weren't following me. And so, yeah, I was just blocking people and I, I'm sure I was getting flagged. Yeah. And that's what happened. So basically, the getting back to your original question. <laughs> Uh, Instagram removed one of the posts. I, I got that notice, you know, saying your post has been removed. And I'm sitting there going, this is kind of fucked up because I, I mean, it's just photos of people kissing. Yeah. There, you know, there might've, I think, I think on not even the post that got removed didn't even have the, the, the porn star girls who had pasties on their nipples. Mm. Um, but even if just, they, but even they did, it shouldn't really matter because you're not going to know no, their, their not, porn stars, and it's like, and even that, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, so it's no, a, it doesn't. Yeah. It all follow the rules. All the photos follow the rules. Yeah. of Instagram, like you know, the nipples were covered. Yeah, you know, nothing. Yeah, nothing bad. They all were well within the community guidelines, kind of thing. Especially the post got removed. There was nothing in mm. there that was, you know, so. You know, I was sitting there thinking, like, you know, in, so I did a post. You know, I I put, I got that, I got that notice. I posted that notice. You know, and my point is this: like, it's Pride Month. Mm-hmm. I think Instagram, you know, purports itself to be a progressive, forward-thinking company. You're basically letting the homophobes run your platform yep. if you if you let that slide. You know, if if a bunch of homophobes and religious zealots can flag a post and successfully get it removed because they don't like it, mm. then they're then they're basically running your platform. If you don't defend against it, if you if you're saying you're a progressive and you're and you're pro gay Pride Month and you're you know pro LGBTQ, then how can you let that happen? That was my point basically. So I did a post about that and um, you know yeah. called Instagram out and then. You know that post is like went off too. It's mm. and uh, a lot of people commented, and I had people from some certain random employees from Instagram, you know, coming at me saying, "Don't call us homophobes." And I'm like, "Well, you know." Oh wow! Really? This is how it, yeah, yeah. 
Damn. I don't think there's any anyone from the main main thing. You know, there's like one girl I know mm-hmm. who kind of posted, and I think she works for WhatsApp, which is part of that parent. You know, the parent company is Facebook. So, um, but she was like, you know, don't call us homophobes. I wouldn't work for a company. I'm just like, well, how does how would you explain it? You know, it's like yeah. if you follow the rules yeah. and it shouldn't be removed. In theory, as as you as a user, you're like, okay, I'm doing. Mm-hmm. everything within the rules so this should be protected mm-hmm. and it's, it's uh, removed and it's removed because a bunch of homophobes or religious zealots took like flagged it and they're like ser- and a robot. They're, they're like searching it out like they're spending their day like let me let me flag every like uh like gay pride parade thing like i, I guarantee you people are like they're searching that stuff out you know but yeah i don't know it, it's yeah they're out they're out there doing it and yeah. um so to me, it was just interesting because it's like that—that's the thing that bums me out about the platform, and in a lot of ways, is that obviously it was flagged enough times that a robot just took it off, mm-hmm. and that's the frustrating part. Is because there's not a human who goes, "Okay, I'm going to override this because clearly it follows the rules, and it's just a bunch of people who, who, you know, people who have the problem." Mm-hmm the backwards problem you know if we've all decided that we're on the progressive side then you'd have to defend that and if you know that's what i'm saying instagram needs to do and that and the fact that there's no human there saying overriding that is what's frustrating yeah it's it's uh i was going to ask you that because like as someone you're you're really active on social media like do you think social media is a good thing what are some bad things about it uh because it is interesting like i was listening to this podcast uh joe rogan he had jack dorsey on from twitter and they were talking about Mm -hmm. this this same thing it was really interesting and they're this basically like we're still just trying to figure this out because it's like hundreds of millions of people and they they're from what he said they, they 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 try to like ban all that stuff but it's just so much incoming stuff it's like hard to manage i guess but overall i guess what's your take on social media i guess yeah i mean i i can get into their shoes and empathize as well mm-hmm. um you know they are yeah think about the global amount of people using using instagram so that you know in a way there's no way they could have a human review every single post and i think that's what that's the problem is that mm. you know enough people flag something it's a hack it's like you know they know it's going to get taken down by a robot mm-hmm. and uh and they've and they won you know they successfully got a post removed yep. that they didn't like even though it followed the rules just because there's no way that enough humans are around to to override these decisions and uh and, yeah, so I don't know what the what the answer is. Obviously, it's like yeah. you, they're not going to be able to hire you know millions of people. It's just like it's going to be like the global population is fifty percent of the people are posting and fifty percent of the people are monitoring everything. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's interesting times, man. Because we're still like in the infancy of social media. Because you think about Instagram, it's not. I don't even think it's ten years old. I think it's like eight or nine years old, and it. it it's like social media in my mind that that's what drives our like political elections now uh we've seen it already happen and it's just kind of it's going to be interesting to see where things go man because it's like facebook in my mind all these twitter they they have the audience so they have like the power to like to twist and turn the the dialogue or narrative however they want you know yeah i mean it's been well documented that um 
fake news on Facebook actually drove a lot of people's opinions in this last election. Facebook's algorithm famously um, pushes and promotes, you know, right-wing things. If you have, if you are unlucky enough to like look at an article that was sent to you, you know, in your feed, in your Facebook feed by some right winger, then the chances are you're start you're going to get more of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like the algorithm uh, favors extremism. You look at one thing and it thinks, oh, you like you saw this or looked at this, then we're going to send you this. Yep. You know, the next step up, and next thing you know, you're watching some Nazi video mm-hmm. that get that got fed to you by algorithm. Yeah, and that's just not that's not a, a feasible like algorithm moving forward where everything gets pushed towards the extreme. And now they're, you know, in the in the case of like anti-vaccination stuff, they're they're starting to uh, put limits on that because it was so easy to find yourself looking at all this anti-vaccination you know, conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah, because they'll make the article. Here we are now suffering new measles outbreaks in 2019. Yeah. It's a... It's a... It's crazy. It's wild times, man. Um, But I guess, like, to go back to the photography, I guess, like, uh, you're shooting for Vogue. Like, I was kind of curious, is, like, the editorial and, like, commercial photography, is that, like, something... Do you enjoy taking on those assignments uh, more than just kind of working on your own personal... Um, books, obviously, you love that stuff. But do you do you do you take anything away from working on these like editorial projects? I do very few editorial projects. Um, my uh, the woman I was mentioning who works as my photo agent must must really dislike me um, <laughs> because I because, because I turn down ninety percent of what she brings me. Yeah. Uh, I'm in a great position in my life where I have a day job with toy machine and I don't, you know, I don't need commercial work to live. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of photographers do need, need that work to pay the bills. And, uh, you know, so I don't, I don't dislike commercial work, but I just don't need to do it. So, you know, like I said, most of the stuff she brings me, I, I turn down. Mm -hmm. I only take jobs that, you know, have, fall within my, you know, open periods where I, you know, I'm not stressed out and I have some time or it's someone shooting someone that I think is cool. You know, I've turned down shooting Justin Bieber and Paris Hilton. I just have no desire to shoot people like that. Um, but you know, if I get the chance to shoot Raymond Pettibon or, you know, someone cool, then I'll, I'll say yes to that job. So, um, and, That's yeah. kind of how I take it. I, it's like a, it's like a, I, I hold it at arm's length. Commercial work, as of now, at least, you know. I think if, if things were to change in my life, circumstances, maybe Toy Machine goes out of business, then I'd probably be in a position where I would pursue more commercial work. But mm. I feel lucky that I have Toy Machine as a day job that pays the bills, and that means I can kind of like Pick and choose keep my photography as pure as pure as I want, mm. and. You know, ninety ninety nine percent of what I do is purely for myself, and and it's just a pursuit for for my books and my art shows and exhibitions and things. 
Would you say? Because personally, I've never, I, I've like, I've never really shown my work in a gallery or anything like that. Would you say, like, the, I guess, like, quote unquote, fine art uh, realm of photography, like, gallery world? Do do they kind of frown upon, like, like the, I guess, like, it's funny how people put like silos on the styles of photography, but like the fine art stuff. Do they kind of frown upon photographers doing that type of work? You think, or is there like a stigma? No. No. No, not at all. I think some of the more successful gallery shows are people, well-known fashion photographers. Mm. I go to a lot of galleries, and you know, you you go to an art fair for a uh, photo photography art fair, for instance, and you'll see you're mostly, you know, a big portion of what you see is photos of Kate Moss and photos of supermodels and stuff like that. It's like that's really popular work, mm. and it all was commercial at the beginning. A lot of this, like. You know, a lot of, you know, you look at like Irving Penn and um, a lot of these guys, yeah. and a lot of their work was commercial. Elliot Erwitt, uh, even Cardi Bresson and all these, like a lot of their work was for Magnum, mm-hmm. which was a photo agency, which was sending them out to cover this stuff for Life Magazine. That's that's commercial work, you know? Yeah, definitely. But it ends up being documentary style work, you know, at the same time. It's like docu- documenting a certain scene or, or a, an event happening in the world and uh that's the conundrum for me is that i'm shooting documentary work for the most part i'm in the fine art realm mm-hmm. and the fact of it is that you know in the fine art realm it's you know it's tough work <laughs> people don't want people don't want a photo of you know someone barfing on the streets <laughs> hanging over their couch that's not true, man. I want that. I want that photo of the kids eating the chicken leg in your book, man. C- keep keep shooting people <laughs> barfing, Ed, man. Bring bring it on. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean. It's like you know, the, it, it's a it's a catch twenty two for me in that mm-hmm. I'm showing work in in galleries. The work is expensive enough to the point where the majority of my fans and audience, which are skateboarders, you know can't afford it necessarily and then the people that are buying are buying it in theory are you know more wealthy people who like i said don't necessarily want this some reality street photo hanging hanging in their house Mm -hmm. they want something that matches the couch for the drapes yeah. Do you, do you ever feel like a pressure to like create work that's going to like cater to these galleries or you don't even, it's just like you shoot what you want and just put it out there pretty much. And if they, if they want to, if they want to mess with you, they mess with you. And if not, that's their problem. Yeah, that's, that's how it goes. I mean, hmm. I'm interested in shooting a certain way. I'm looking at, I'm looking at people. I'm a, you know, ultimately it boils down to just being a people watcher. Mm-hmm. I like looking at people like watching people, what we do as humans. I'm interested in all that. Yeah. In, in the social weirdnesses that we go through and all, and little moments, little tiny moments. It's, it's a, it's an obsession. It's a weird fetish, you know, who spends their days going out and just watching people and <laughs> trying to capture little moments on, in squares of film, you know, it's like, yeah. It's it's a ridiculous and if you think about it it's kind of a ridiculous pursuit. Um so to to do it means you really need to enjoy it. Have yeah, have some kind of affliction for it. 
what do you think like like you said like you spend so much of your time this kind of like observing people photographing them like what do you think you've learned about people in general like spending so much time this kind of observing you think i think i'm a good uh judge of human character for sure mm. i mean that's as any i think most photographers have, have that have that ability to just kind of like read a person read a situation read the streets Part of it comes from skateboarding, being out on the streets all the time. Hmm. Um, you know, being part of the street culture out there in the streets, hanging out with homeless people at weird spots and alleys. And, you know, when you go to a city, you're not hanging out in the cool touristy spots. You're off in the suburbs somewhere shooting, you know, skating some rail. So you, you're really around, you know, gen people in, in the world, out in the world and everywhere. And I think that that has crossed over into, into street photography, being out there and being able to read situations. I, I feel like I see what's happening. Most people are buried in their phones and are, you know, worried about their life going from point A to point B. And, yeah. and not many of the people are out there watching everything that's happening. Yeah. So I, I feel like as a photographer, you see, you see your whole 360 view around you because that's what you're looking for. And like, you're not just thinking about, oh, I got to go to the store. I got to pick up, pick up the kids or whatever you're thinking, you know? Yeah. Or I think you're just looking at, people, yeah. looking I, at their eyes, seeing what, seeing what they're doing. Yeah. So I, I immediately see people who are, you know, trying to pickpocket or, uh, up to no good. I, I like see that right away. Yeah, and it seems like you're not you're not afraid to have like a dialogue with people. You're out there on the street and you're engaging with them. Is that something you've always just kind of felt comfortable with? This kind of engaging with all different types of people, this kind of approaching them and whatnot. Well, especially regarding like the homeless the homeless population. Yeah, I mean, I think from skateboarding and from street photography, it it erases the stigma around them. I do notice how people just walk, tend to walk by with blinders on or, you know, by someone who's sitting on the street begging or, or a homeless situation. And, uh, you know, I've like over the years, of course, realized that there, there are people too. And, and it's not weird to go say hi to them. In fact, most people actively ignore them. So it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of strange for someone to say hello or ask them how their day is going, you know? Yeah because they just assume that their day is so terribly shitty because they're homeless. But it's like, it's, it's a lot of cases. It's not, it's not that they, they would enjoy getting asked how their day is, how their day is going because they don't, they don't have the same framework that most people have and their day is their day and they do have good days and bad days. Yeah. Just like anyone else. Definitely. They're still a human being just like all of us, you know? Um, I guess, like, how did you kind of initially get into photography? Like, obviously, I, I came to know of you through your skateboarding, but how did kind of photography come into the mix for you? Um, I think I had been interested in photography to some extent and, you know, and, and artwork in general. I was, you know, my grandparents took me to museums as a kid and, uh, put some kind of art bug in me for sure as a, as a youngster. And, um, then when I was, was among skateboarders, you know, notoriously skateboarders are a creative group of people. I think most of us find skateboarding, especially back in the eighties. 
because of some kind of alienation or, you know, the opposite of team sports kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my friends came from broken homes, as did I. And so I think a lot of us were kind of like misfits and an outcast in some way. And then skateboarding was the perfect thing to find. And I think because of that alienation and outcastness, a lot of the people that found skateboarding were also creative people by, by nature. Mm-hmm. And so I think finding skateboarding really put me amongst a really creative creative group of, of people and and then once I got sponsored and was turned pro for skateboarding my job was basically to be around photographers shooting me for the skate mag so I was around cameras and film and kind of learning how they worked just by almost by osmosis from these guys like hearing them talk about how they're shooting me what film they're using uh, what aperture what shutter speed and kind of learning like that who are some so of the, everything I learned? Who are some of the first skate photographers you were kind of working with as like your professional skateboarder? So obviously you're you're collaborating with photographers who are photographing you skating. Who are some of those photographers that were I guess uh, photographing you initially? Yeah, the earliest one was Christian Klein. He worked for Power Edge magazine, hmm. and he was a good friend and would teach me stuff. And then there was Mickey Vukovic from oh, yeah. Transworld who was really good at uh, explaining things. He's one of those patient guys who knows everything, who knows how everything works. And so if you ask him a question, he's the kind of guy who will sit down and be like, okay, you know, here's every part of a camera. <laughs> like, they'll tell you everything about it. So that was really uh, helpful and informative. And, uh, and then uh, a little later, like uh, Tobin Yelland, oh, I was really interested in, yeah, I was really interested in Tobin, and he would he would uh, tell me things about the camera, but also watching how he worked and how he shot the, you know, on and off the board in San Francisco. Like he his photos of just the scene and the people up there was really influential for me. Mm. Um, so that's what started it. I, I kind of felt like, you know, obviously I, I saw Larry Clark's book at some point as well. And uh, just got really into it. I think Tobin was also influenced by Larry Clark. And uh, so I saw that in Tobin's work. And then, you know, my thing was around 1994, I just realized that I'm living a different life down here in Southern California. And I'm surrounded by all these skaters and, and, you know, famous in their own little world type people. Mm. And, uh, it kind of just hit me. I should be shooting this too and documenting skateboard skateboard culture from the inside out as a pro skateboarder. And that was that so kind of was that, was that kind of some of the initial photos you were taking? This kind of like your your skate friends and this kind of your surroundings, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. The early the earliest work for me was trying to just document the people around me. And we got to travel so much. So, you know, it, it like immediately turned from looking at skateboarders to, to street photography, mm-hmm. like, like almost at the same time, because, you know, once, once you realize you're going to carry a camera and have it on you at all times and you get to travel as a, as a skateboarder, you know, where you're getting sent to Europe all the time and Australia and, uh, 
it must yeah, so it must have been like a challenge because like obviously you love photography so much and as you know you're always watching but then at the same time when you're a professional skateboarder your job is to like skate you're doing demos you're trying to film clips were there times where like you're skating and you wish you were shooting photos or like vice versa oh yeah all the time i mean yeah i mean i toy machine was my company so i had to always be the professional in in the in the in the tour van and and set the example for the other people on the team mm. and so yeah like if i just like started slacking off and trying to shoot photos instead of skating the demo then all the other guys would have you know took that as an example like oh we can slack off so so i always had to like keep my nose to the grindstone and like one make sure we were there on time and then you know skate till i fell down which is like four hours of pure skating, you know, mm-hmm. and at whatever park you're at until you're done. And then, and then maybe I could go grab my camera and shoot, shoot some things happening around. Um, so yeah, that was frustrating because I would see stuff as I was even skating that was either going on or, or interesting people or stuff happening that I would have loved to shoot, but I had to kind of like be a professional. Mm. Um, not that big of a deal, but it, you know, but yeah. sometimes there was, especially as it got later in my career when, you know, in my skate career, when I was getting older and, uh, and my photography was increasing even more than it would even be, I would see more, even more things mm-hmm. that I wish I could shoot. I would be at a, you know, skating at an America demo and then Jerry Sue is like notoriously shy. So he would like skate a little bit and then get his camera and go shoot around and I'd be like <laughs> skating and watching Jerry shoot, shoot cool photos as I was trying to skate. I'd just be like, fuck. Yeah. It was like starting your own skateboard company, like Toy Machine. Was that like always like a goal of yours to have your own company? Because like you skated for other companies before that, but was that like kind of always like a dream for you? It kind of turned into a necessity. I mean, I, I, uh, we started my own, our own company with Mike Valley and, uh, 91 or something like that Mm. which fell apart around 92 ish and i went i had this whole period where i didn't have a sponsor or a job for six or eight months Mm. and that was super stressful um but i had had i had already had the taste of doing our own thing for a year and kind of liked the idea of like you know having a creative outlet and having something that in theory you could do after you're done skating you know it's like the idea was like oh i'll start a company you know so when i get too old to skate i can still be involved and and uh work with work within the within the field that i love skateboarding you know within the thing i i love to do and the and the people i i love and uh so that was that was the main reason was just like let's have some forethinking here mm. and uh do something you know, and then there's like everything else comes with it, like the idea, the ability to to give back a little bit, to do creative things, and you know, make videos and have ads and have graphics and just all that, all the stuff that comes with it was yeah. was something fun. It's exciting. Do you, and, do you ever you ever like doubt yourself as like a like because I know I I work freelance myself, so it's like. I'm sure you know, like, there's a lot of ups and downs. Did you kind of ever doubt yourself as, like, a business owner or this kind of as, like, a, 
I guess, like freelance type person where you don't know what's coming, what month. Um, how do you kind of deal with the stress of being like an independent business owner, I guess? Yeah, I mean, doubt doubt is a constant companion. Uh, I think if you don't doubt what you're doing, then you're, you're probably doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's a healthy thing. It's like that shows that you care if you have doubt. If you're worried about if you're worried about something, that means you're that means you're, yeah. yeah. The people who are like 100% sure of exactly what they're doing are uh, fascinating to me because a lot of times they've just made some weird decision and it's it's not necessarily the right decision. It's good to it's good to have self doubt as a photographer in your work, as a businessman, everything. It's like you got to constantly be questioning what you're doing and mm-hmm. why you're doing it. And is it right? Is it is it the best thing you can do? That's I think that's a really healthy thing. Yeah. And then yeah, I mean that's different than uncertainty and uh, and paying the bills and that that kind of stuff. It's like there's always that uh, stress is yeah. you know, stress and uh, and worry about will will we sell enough boards to pay everybody this month? Will you know will I sell enough artwork to pay the bills this month? Whatever mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Yeah. And it must be weird, like being a, you're the owner of the skate company and skateboarding. It's like those people on your team there. I would imagine they're your friends. You're traveling the world together. You're building these like close relationships, but then also once you get money in the mix, it, it must be difficult sometimes. No. Um, there's been some weird periods throughout toy machines life, of course. Uh, um, and some of them have been money related, but but for the most part, I, I can say, you know, proudly and luckily that, you know, we've never missed a writer's check. Wow. You know? We've since '93 till now, we've never, we've never not paid a writer what they were, what they were, you know, what we agreed upon. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've been really lucky that Toy Machine has been at least that, you know, uh, at least that. Uh, viable that has been going going without a hiccup like that yeah. the whole time no that, that's amazing man and you still any, any money problems were just kind of like budget concerns or you know someone i had to you know i've had to i've had to you know reduce the team because of money mm-hmm. but that's different than not being able to pay someone that that's someone who i had to tell because of money we can't keep you on the team anymore yeah but We've never just like not paid anybody. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Do you do you feel like your experience like running Tour Machine has like helped you with like now you're like in the the photo world like dealing with these big galleries and stuff? Has all your experience kind of running Tour Machine kind of helped you in that world? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the mindset of running a company is is very much like being a a working artist as well. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people know this, but a lot of people also don't know this, that, you know, it is, you know, an art career is a a business. Mm -hmm. If you think about it in those terms, Um, it's the same, like I've joked about this, about how being um, represented by a gallery is basically the same as being a team writer on a a team. You know, it's like I, my gallery has, you know, I'm on a roster go to the website and it's like, you know, instead of team, it says artists 
and you click artists and it shows a list of people yeah. and you're one of those people. And it's the same thing. It's like, you just like a video part, you have a solo show or something that has to, you know, they call you up and say, Hey, you're, you know, this year you're doing a show. Yeah. You better get to work. And just like a skater goes out and gets all his tricks. I have to make paintings or, or get photographs printed and framed. It's like, you still have to like bust ass to, you know, make your part or your show, you know, Mm-hmm. It's, there's a lot of parallels and uh and the same demands are there like you know you need to go out and and get coverage and and lay down lay down artwork just like tricks you know so yeah there's, there's a lot of weird similarities it's kind yeah. of funny to think of it that way yeah because like how because like i said before like i don't have much experience in the gallery world but like how, how do those relationships start like are you like actively like marketing your work to like galleries that you hope to be in or how, how do those kind of like opportunities usually happen for you because looking at your website your cv you've you've shown your work around the world um but like how does that kind of world operate i guess yeah it's it happens and i think this is for everybody it happens really organically Mm -hmm. i mean i think i hear you hear about these kids who you know get plucked right out of college to be you know represented by some massive gallery and that, that does happen. That's a big part of the art world now is like the galleries just go right to the art schools and pick promising people. And, um, you know, so it's like a hand of God coming down and saying, you're the, you're the one. Yeah. But I think in most people's cases, it's, it's an organic long process. I just tell people to keep doing what you're doing, keep working. Um, you know, they, people see me in these gallery shows and they see me on these lists of uh, represented artists, and they think that it just happened one day out of nowhere, mm-hmm. or they think, or they think because you're a pro skateboarder, you got these chances, and and it's like couldn't be further from the truth. None of the galleries I work with had any idea that I was a pro skateboarder, had no idea who I was on a, in a different world. Mm-hmm. They were just purely choosing me from the work which i'm which i'm proud of because i didn't i don't want to have that helping hand yeah um especially in that in that in that level um of them knowing that i'm somebody else and working with me because of that reason and the other part of it is just you know that people don't see the the 10 years of doing every coffee shop show possible and and busting ass on that level. This is before Instagram, you know. Mm-hmm. This is before before websites for the most part. Uh, you know, I did every coffee shop show. Some of my first shows were just saying yes to do being in a coffee shop show. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really fortunate in '93 to be included by this guy Dan Field, who did one of the first ever skateboard art shows, where he basically took anybody who was a known skateboarder who did art and put him in this big show in Chicago at this gallery in Chicago in 1993. And so it was like Mark Gonzalez, maybe one of his first shows. Wow. Uh, it was one of my first shows, um, but everyone was in it. Chris Miller, Neil Blender, Thomas Campbell, uh, Matt Hensley, like everybody who, even people who don't, you don't consider, think of as artists, you know, mm-hmm. as much now. Like, you know, we're in the show. Everybody was in it, Chris Miller. And uh, that was the start of that. But then, you know, that's how you build it. You have one show on your list, and then you have two shows suddenly. And, you know, you have three shows. It's a coffee shop show or something. And, uh, and that's how you start building it. And you 
and you get the experience of how does it work and you get be- each time you do it, you get a little better yep. at figuring out how to do it and how to speak to an audience and, yeah, and all these little tiny things. And, um, so yeah, it's like, I tell people like, you just got to do it. You got to bust the ass. I did it for 10 years. Yeah. I was very fortunate to have skateboard money, you know, I was a pro skateboarder. So I had, I had money to frame photographs and mm-hmm. get them ready for a show. A lot of it is investment, you know, it, when I do a show, people just assume that the gallery takes care of everything. It's totally not the case. I mean, most shows I do, it's an investment for me too. It's like ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars of wow. framing, you know, to frame to frame a, a huge space. So you know, like we're talking, you know, thirty, forty. Some of my shows have these big clusters, so it's like hundreds of works, mm-hmm. hundreds of photographs that are having to be framed. Um, you know, to do that, it, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. And then if you, if you plan in, if you sell the work, then you get the framing cost back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, a, it's a lot. So, uh, so it's an investment. It's, it's keeping to it. It's tenacity. You just have to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And the way to get your name out there is to, you know, use Instagram, use magazines, send them to people, do all the things that are super low cost and easy. Mm-hmm. And if it's good, if it's good work, it, it rises to the top. That's the thing. It's like um, a lot of people kind of miss miss the ingredient when they're thinking about their work and why isn't it doing well. Like maybe maybe the work's not good. It's like you have to also think about that. You have to constantly evolve as an artist too. Do you, and, I was going to ask you that. Like, did it did it take you a while to like find your voice as a photographer or artist? Because I know you do painting, graphic design. Because I think that's the thing a lot of people struggle with is finding their voice, finding what what they're trying to convey. Um, have you always just kind of had a clear mind of like who you are as a photographer, artist, or did it kind of take you a while as well to kind of figure out who you were? It took it takes a long time. Yeah, I think I, I mean, people might laugh at this, but I feel like I'm just finding my voice now. Yeah. I I I truly feel like only now am I really like things are coming together at least in my own head, like how, what I'm trying to say, how I'm trying, how I'm doing it. I feel like I've put in enough time to where I feel more confident as a photographer than I ever have. And, you know, I've been doing it since 94. I don't know how many years that is right now, but you know, it's 25. It takes a long time. It takes a long time to hit your stride. Um, you know, and like, and I've obviously done stuff over that time period, and I look back on some of the stuff, and I go, "This is not," <laughs> you know, especially in painting. I think in photography, it's a little, it's a little different. But even even in photography, it's like some some of the stuff that I thought was great at that time mm. wouldn't wouldn't make the cut now, mm. and that's that's evolution. That's how it that's how it works. It's like I tell I tell young people that you know, it's like they get a they get they want to do a book and they're going to throw the kitchen sink at the book you know mm-hmm. and it's not and it, and I did that on some of my first works and I wish I I wish I hadn't I wish I had been more streamlined mm-hmm. with what I was doing but you know I you approach it like this is my one and only book I got to do everything in it you know yeah and you can't it's not a it's not a it's not a smart way to think that this will be your first and only book because mm. um 
a lot of times if you try to put too much into one book, then it's just going to be mixed marsh. kind of a, a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you're saying, like, what, what are you hoping people are going to take away from your photography? I guess maybe this is a hard question. Like how, how would you describe your work or like, is there like a message you're trying to convey? Like, is there, what do you hope people kind of take away when they look at like an Ed Templeton book or photo you think? I mean, that, if I had to try to like put it into one word, it's just, you know, here's, here's, here's humans, you know, Mm -hmm. this is what, this is, this is human, this is humans. Um, obviously within that, within any book or show, there's a million different messages being, being portrayed. Um, some of which I might not even understand myself that someone else comes with their own, life experience and sees sees something in a photo that I might not have even seen because they have different life experience. So there's a lot of different messages. Each photo itself is a, is kind of like mm-hmm. you might have shot it for different reasons. Maybe the form was was why what was what attracted to you to it to you maybe and um a lot of times it's the content, uh what's happening in the photo and then you try to also make the form interesting and beautiful but um you know if i like i said if i had to just bring it down to one thing it, all my photos are about humans like i don't spend a lot of time shooting buildings or houses or anything like that i'm like interested in what humans are doing yeah. so my photos are about people about human nature little things little tiny things you know just a look or a thing something you know, something where someone looks at it and notices that's part of humanity there. Mm. This is what we have to live with. This is what life is now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, if I knew how, if I could explain it, well, I guess I would be a writer, <laughs> as a photographer, but it's, it's, a. Uh, you know, I like it, it is one of those things where, you know, famously Cartier Bresson said, you know, if you want to know me, look at my photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is what I see. This is how I see. This is, you know, if you want to know what I'm thinking, these photos and what I'm choosing to put my camera on is that's where I that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, the thing that I've always kind of respected about your work and uh, a lot of other photographers is that you can tell, like, just looking at your Instagram and stuff, you're you're this like constantly shooting your every day, just going out there, just getting after it. Because like some photographers might go through lulls, but do you, do you feel like that's his kind of that's his half the battles is kind of waking up every day and is trying to get after that and just kind of create something every day. And hopefully you create something every day it might be better than the last might not be a good day, but is that it? This kind of just hitting the road every day pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an important practice for sure is to just do it. And that's part of being tenacious that works for painters or for photographers. It's just, you have to just keep doing what you're doing. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, the, the tail doesn't wag the dog. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get a show from by waiting around for someone to see the few works you've made and give you a show. You have to just keep laying it down mm-hmm. and, you know, you make four paintings and you got to make four more and you got to make four more. And then what happens is people, people can see that this person is doing this regardless of what I think, you know, they're not doing it for this exhibition or for the book or for the show. They're just doing it. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's part of it. But for me, yeah, it's just, 
it's being interested in people watching is just a, a constant. So, and then having a camera is a constant. So I don't leave the house without a camera. Yeah. It's I'm not a project photographer. I'm not a project photographer. Yep. Meaning that I, I actually envy people, the photographers who choose a thing, you know, they say, okay, I'm going to like go to West Virginia and, and shoot coal miners. Yeah. That's my project. I'm going to go and do that. Mm. I wish I could do that. You know, I have a company to run. I have, I can't, I can't just leave for, you know, that much time and um, go shoot like a year long series on something. I would love to do that. But for me, photography is not project based. It's, it's basically my entire life is one photographic project everywhere I go. I just shoot. So yeah. Yeah. um, That's what I, when I go to do an art show in Copenhagen, that turns into a photo trip and I'm shooting Copenhagen. Yeah. I'm shooting people in Copenhagen. You know, when I'm here, which is a lot of time, I take a walk on the Huntington Beach Pier every day and just shoot, shoot what's happening on the pier every day just to keep myself going, Mm. just to keep it going. I, and Mm. yeah, I guess I'm lucky that I live in a place that has something to shoot, but you know, the Huntington Beach pier isn't something that most people would go like, here's my photo project, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> definitely some characters out there. I live here. And so, and I tell people that all the time, I'm like, shoot where you live, you know, 100%. And you might be thinking where I live is boring. It's like, yeah. find what's interesting about where you live. Find There's gotta be something there. Yeah. There's an amazing guy. I'm sure you know of him, Larry Tao, who's a Magnum photographer and one of yeah, his, his big fan. yeah, one of his books is literally just he. I think he lives in Canada. It's just him photographing his family, and that's it. Like just hanging around his front yard and all types of stuff. Like he didn't have to travel three thousand miles or whatever to get a good picture. It's just uh, he, he just photographed his world, and I think that's just kind of goes to show you, you don't you don't need to go far to make a good photo. Well, my my first influences were looking at someone like Tobin Yellen who was shooting his, his scene in San Francisco, his people he was around. He was influenced by Larry Clark and Nan Golden, which also influenced me. Both those books, famous books, Nan Golden's Ballad of Sexual Dependency and Larry Clark's Tulsa and Teenage Lust. Mm. You know, both those, all those books are examples of people shooting their own world. She was shooting her friends, their love lives, their their particular scene in New York City, um, art, the arty bohemian community that they were part of, and what they were doing, the drugs, the sex, the whatever, and that. And same with Larry Clark in in you know Tulsa, Oklahoma, shooting his friends, his druggy friends, doing what they do, and you know that becomes a, a time capsule of a certain period. Uh, you know, showing the world like this is what's happening. Mm. That, you know, th- those are valuable things. And, and any, you know, like I said, anyone can do that. You yeah. know, I mean, Tulsa, Oklahoma, think about that. It's like, you know, people might think, oh, that's that's going to be boring. It's like the most non-boring work ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. you don't need to, yeah, you're exactly right. You don't need to go to Africa or something <laughs> to go shoot interesting photos. You you can do it in your backyard. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's what I've been doing this whole time, and I'm lucky enough to get to travel. So I, I travel and shoot, but I also stay home and shoot. Do you, th- I was actually going to ask you this. Like, 
you photograph a lot, like your Huntington Beach Pier series. Um, I have this problem. Like when I travel, I actually have a harder time photographing. Like especially like if I go to New York City, I, I just feel like I can't take a good photo just because it's just so much chaos. Like I feel because like, I live in a small town in Massachusetts, and it's just for me, it's just a lot easier to think. Do, do you find? Do you feel like you you make better work? I guess we were already saying that. Like you make better work in Huntington Beach versus like traveling to Copenhagen or, or maybe not. I don't know. It's different. It's different work. I know what you're feeling. Uh, you know, I think when I get to New York city, there's a, there's a period of like fear because New Yorkers are a lot more brash mm. and there's like more of a tendency that someone's going to punch you in the face <laughs> for shooting us out of there. And, uh, and that's scary, scary. And then there's also the fact that there's, you know, I always think this too when I'm in London or it's like, I see the people out there, I'll see the guy walking around with his Leica and I'm like, okay, I'm in like street photographer's zone here. Yeah. You know, you go to Oxford street in London not at a certain time when the sun's about to set mm. and there's literally like hundreds of photographers out there shooting in the same area. Mm-hmm. And you realize like, okay, I'm in a spot where, this is a heavily shooted, yeah. a heavily documented spot. And, you know, and then you start getting that fear of like, I can't, am I going to be able to shoot something different than all these people, you know, that are shooting here? Yeah. Um, so yeah, New York is like a famously famous spot for a street photographer. So then it worries you. Like, are you going to, you know, you see someone, you know, you go to like Washington square park, you see the guy sitting on the grass with his, uh, his sun mirror that he like, you know, <laughs> redirects the beams of yeah. sun onto his face and you're like, okay, clearly this has been shot a million times by every street photographer here, <laughs> you know, but you're the, you're in New York for the first time. And you're like, Oh, I'm going to go shoot this. Look at this. I'm so interesting and different. It's like, no, that's like <laughs> for sure. It's been shot a thousand times. Cause that guy's there every day. You know, it's like, mm. um, that's happened to me a lot where you see something and you're like, Oh, look at this. And then, you know, then after the fact, you realize like, oh, this guy's like a New York fixture. He's there every day, and there's probably like ten local photographers who know that guy and shoot him all the time. So it's like, yeah, it kind of like puts you in a weird position of like, what do I shoot? What can I shoot here? Mm-hmm. And then you like you said, it's crazy, and it's like, see, but I like the chaos. I think the more chaotic a, a place is, the easier it is to shoot. Yeah, the easier it is to get lost and have someone not notice you. Yeah. No, um, that's a good skill for me. I it's, York, just, it's just so much. In New York chaos. and London, there's yeah. so many. In New York and London, there's so many photographers, like tourists, that you know you don't look at a place having a camera. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a small town, where there isn't tourists, having a camera is like, what the fuck's this guy doing? You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you, you know, looking at your website, I know you do. You do. I know you say you don't do pro, like project based stuff, but you have like some themes to your photos, like um, your your famous book, Teenage Smokers, and then I think you had Teenage Kissers. Um, like with those series, do you do you come up with the idea and then you're like searching that stuff up, searching that stuff out, or is it more those photos just kind of come and then you kind of compile these photos over time, and that's how the the series comes? Yeah. To, yeah. Well, since, since I don't work in a project way, really, um, I kind of have themes in my head that I'm like looking to shoot as I go around. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it comes after the fact, like in, you know, in, in fact, teenage smokers, when my, one of my first earliest books, um, 
that was all organically happening. And I don't, I didn't, my, myself, I didn't even notice it. It took um, Aaron Rose, who was doing the alleged gallery. I think he saw so many photos of kids smoking in my photos that he was just like, oh, you should do a book of these kids smoking. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah that's a good idea. Like, I didn't, even, that wasn't even something that I thought, oh, I'm going to do this, you know, project. Uh, mm-hmm. I just kept shooting all these kids smoking by, by the skate park every day. And I didn't, I don't think I even really thought that this would be a series, but until after the fact, and then that's been a trend in my whole life. Like I, I just shoot, um, you know, I look for certain themes like people smoking has been one of them, people kissing, you know, kind of general street photography themes in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, but my whole thing is build the archive first and then sort it out later. Yeah. Interesting. So So I'm constantly shooting anywhere I go, everywhere I go. And then once I look at the archive, then I decide what to do with it. You know, it's like, and some of those theme books you mentioned came from just looking through my archive. The, you know, managing the archive is a huge ordeal for me. It's like, it takes a lot of time and effort too to like make sure everything is cataloged as you shoot it. Yep. So then you can search for it because now I can just go and search, you know, type a word in and be basically see everything I've ever shot with that word in it. Wow. And that's how I can do some of these typological books that are so narrowly themed. You know, I did a zine called Lick where it's just photos of people licking things. <laughs> it was just <laughs> like, you know, it was just like a fun zine idea. Like what, what happens if I search random things? I was searching different keywords. You know, I, I searched the word cane and I just had, you know, like I had like, 60 photos of people with a cane in some using it in some way. Wow. And it was going to be that. And then I was like, and then I did lick on a, just on a whim. And I was like, Oh, this is even kind of fun here in a way. It's like all these people licking ice cream or licking something. Yeah. Um, and did a little zine like that. So yeah, there's been, you know, kind of a fun thing to do is, is keep your archive uh, ready. Yeah. So you can do things like that. No, that's smart. And could could you ever imagine? I was on eBay because I was actually looking at some of your books. Teenage smokers. It goes for like some people sell it for like over a thousand dollars. Could you ever imagine like when you made that that people would be selling it for a thousand bucks a pop? No way. Yeah, no way. That's it's such a weird uh, it's such a weird thing because that book is also so small. It's basically a zine. Um, so for it to go for that much is is kind of insane, but. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> it's it's, it's it, yeah, it must be, it's exciting, man. Um, and you know, when I set this up, I was really excited to talk to you about. I think your newest book, uh, it's a tongue twister. I might butcher this. Tan 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 telly parenthetical. That's I don't think I said it correctly. Uh, tan tangentially parenthetical. Yeah. What is what does that mean? And like, how did that book all come together? So, this is a sister book in some ways to my book with the same publisher that came out before called wayward cognitions. Mm -hmm. And both these titles are sort of like fancy ways of saying straight thoughts. Wayward cognitions is just a fancy way of saying straight thoughts. Mm -hmm. Tangentially parenthetical is, you know, the root word of that is tangent, you know, as in going off on a tangent. Mm -hmm. Um, So tangentially is just a way to say like, uh, you know, you might, be saying something and then you might add tangentially that 
this other thing on the side of it. And then parenthetical is like, you know, something in parentheses. So in a lot of ways, both those words mean the same thing. Yep. So it's kind of a, a redundancy and it's just a kind of a fanciful way of, of saying, you know, these are asides. And in that way, as a photographer, you know, I, like I said, I had, or like you mentioned before, I, I do, I have done a lot of books that are very narrowly themed. Mm-hmm. Teenage Kisses, Teenage Smokers. I did a, uh, a book called The Seconds Pass, which is all photos shot from a moving car. Um, what else did I do? Oh, I did a book about Catalina Island, which is very specific about one island off the coast of California here. Um, so there's been a lot of very themed books, but the fact of it is that since I shoot everything everywhere I go, I have a lot of stuff that doesn't fall in those themes. Mm. And you could also say that probably my, you know, my main work and some of my best work is that stuff that isn't really part of any necessarily series. And so for me, I was thinking, you know, how do I, how do I present that work? Cause a lot of times it's all about presentation. It's hard to just say, here's a bunch of photographs, everybody, you know, check them out. Mm-hmm. And so labor cognitions and tangentially parenthetical are both have been ways to show work that it has no theme aside from humanity. Like I said, it's just about human nature. Mm-hmm. It's about street photography. It's about if you're a photography fan, that's what these, that's who these books are for. And, uh, and then within those books, I try to tell a story using the spreads and using the sequence of the photographs and using the content of the photographs to kind of weave a story. <coughs> so as the viewer goes through, <coughs> excuse me, no worries. As the viewer goes through these these books, I'm trying to kind of like conjure things in their head, tell a story. I don't. It's really esoteric stuff. It's very specific and only for a really few people who are going to plug in and get it, you know? Mm. And how that's like, the that's photo the geek to right there is <laughs> <just> doing it. <laughs> photo nerd. Yeah. And the photos in that, um, are those from like a time span within like the last couple of years? Are they like a longer range period? The photos actually made the book or uh, how long? Yeah. There's no theme. Oh. There's no theme and no, so no constraints on where they're shot, no constraints on when they were shot. So these books have photos from my earliest days shooting. There's photos from 90, you know, five, six in some, in these books. Mm. And there's photos from 2018, you know? So it's like, I'm just pulling from my entire archive to build a story. I'm just looking at every photo I have and putting them together. So that's, that's what's fun about it is that usually, usually photo books do have a theme. It's like, here's a, you know, a, documentary about this or that or here's a time period it's like as a photographer it's so frustrating to have so much work that Mm -hmm. falls in between those those projects Mm -hmm. and uh that's what these books are these books are a celebration of the in-between and that's why the names are so like the name is stray thoughts or tangentially (laughs) parenthetical it's like it kind of means that all these these are photos that fall out of out of all the projects they fall in between they're they're like the weird stray photos that are floating around in your head mm. and what do you I'm taking what, those photos and building building a story out of them yeah what do you enjoy about like the process of making a, a book like like is it an enjoyable this kind of editing through all your your archive what do you enjoy about 
like put making these books yeah super fun i mean that's that's the for me it's the end product i mean i'm not shooting these photos in a vacuum just for myself um you know the ultimate goal when you're shooting something is to share it share it with somebody mm-hmm. uh, that's the point for me it was like share having someone look at the photos that you that you spent all this time going out and shooting um you know one there is one aspect of doing it for yourself but you know i think any artist wants to uh have that conversation with people about what they're doing uh, and that's that's for me that's the finishing touch is like i shot this this is what i think now i'm expressing it to you here's what i think here's what i saw and um so yeah that's that's the fun of it and then you know uh yeah i mean the whole process of looking through the archives both these books took were kind of in like embryonic form for for years Mm. beforehand because that part of what i do for fun is i'll sit at my computer and i have these uh, folders folders of different images i kind of come up with names for books and and ideas and i just keep basically processing from one to the other of these different folders i might have like 20 30 folders at any given time and i'm constantly editing adding stuff to it taking it away um yeah just just looking at it i'll sit down and just look through it and then go okay these photos don't fit anymore i'm gonna put these new photos in so there's like a constant process of like future books coming down the line that i'm thinking about yeah and these two books were represented that like i just had I had this fold this folder of stray photos and then it kind of started congealing into what these books would be. Mm. And uh it's a long process, yeah. I mean, in this case it just took took a long time. And then once you start and then of course like a deadline helps uh, when the publisher <laughs> says, like, Okay, we're gonna do it and you gotta get it to me by you know, by in six months or something, then then it really accelerates. You 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 have this folder that's kinda like you know, rough around the edges, and then you start really getting serious about it and adding stuff and taking stuff away on a ser- in a serious way. And then, uh, and then the for the next step for me from that is I can start putting it into a layout. Damn. So you do you actually do you actually design do all the graphic design for like the cover? You do all the all the layout yourself? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I do everything. That's amazing. That's one of the benefits learning all this stuff through skateboarding and running a skate company. I had to do all the ads and the graphics. So I basically know how to design a book now. And because of that, it's hard to let someone else do it. I just just want to like, I guess it's control freak (laughs) in me, but it's like, if I can do it, I'll just do it myself. And uh, then I have no one to blame, no one to blame except for yourself. Um, So yeah, the next, the next part of it is putting it in a layout and, starting to sequence, uh, starting to mess around. And then at that phase, you start finding other photos. So I'll start sequencing and then realize like, okay, this photo is for sure in, but the photo I have next to it doesn't work. Yeah. And then I look, start looking through the whole archive again, something that may have never been in that original folder. I'll find something that resonates with that photo yeah. to go with, you know, to go with it in the spread and see if it fits in the story. I'm telling you the and so there's a process of that, like finding new photos end up getting injected in mm. to go with some certain spreads, certain, and then sequencing the spreads, the big deal. 
Uh, it's really important to print it out, yeah. just in black and white even. Yeah, I saw that you still, and, you have a dark room, I think your studio or whatever, you still print everything in the dark room then, huh? Uh, a lot of stuff in the dark room, yeah. I mean, for tangent, for the Wayward book, I actually printed everything first, mm-hmm. and then scanned the, scanned the prints. Yeah. But for tangentially, since it was a, a quicker turnaround, I basically ended up just using neg scans. Mm-hmm. So I scanned the negatives for that one and didn't make prints. But um, but I'm talking about just like print it out on your like yeah you know on your black and white printer. Um, because I think it's important to have hold it in your hands physically mm-hmm. and see see you know see when you can sit down on the couch and not be in front of a screen and just look at the book in that way. Yeah. And then I open it up and like lay it all on the floor, so you can see the entire book in one, in one shot. That's really important too, because I think it's impossible on a computer. You can only see like a certain amount of spreads at a time, and uh, it's really hard to sequence in that way, like long term, looking at the whole project, because you might realize that this this chunk of photos over here is too close to this chunk over here, and so that really ends up changing everything when you lay it out. And will will you ever? So ask, it is a. Will you ever ask for input from other like artists or photographers? Like when you're putting these things together, or you just kind of do it yourself, or is that ever? Is it ever kind of like? Do you? Do yeah, not so much actually. I mean, Deanna is a photographer, my wife, and yeah. she looks at stuff and gives me some input. But it's very rare that I've had someone else come over to look at something or or get their opinion on it. Mm. Um, I think there's some future projects coming up that that might be more something I'll do. I've been talking with Chris McCall from the Pier 24 Museum in San Francisco. And I think he's going to look at some of the work that's coming up for my skateboarding book, Wires oh, Crossed. Damn. And you're uh, going to have a show at Pier 24? Um, it's not 100% sure yet, maybe. <laughs> damn, they should, man. It should just be like, I'm fucking Ed Templeton, man. Give me a goddamn show. <laughs> like, that would be sick, man. <laughs> I, would, I would go to that one. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. You I can't know, just say, man. hey, I'm at Templeton. All give right. me a show. I'll do it. I'll do it, Ed. I'll put the word. <laughs> um, no, that's exciting. And uh, a few more questions. I'll let you go. Uh, like you said, your wife, Diana, is a photographer, amazing photographer. I was looking at her work. Um, is it kind of, do you guys kind of, like you said, kind of give feedback on each other's work? Is it kind of motivating to kind of see the progression in each other's work? Um, yeah, for sure. I I think I help her a lot. I mean, I end up laying out her books too, so that I help in that way. And then, um, you know, it, it can be touchy at, at times because you don't want to offend people, but it's, but, you know, she has come in and, you know, asked the question that, you know, I can tell the code. She'd be like, what's that in here for? You know, it's like, <laughs> and that's code for like, what the fuck is that photo? You know, it's yeah. like, and it makes me think about it in a different way because a lot of times you you shot the photo so you have like a feeling of what that photo means like because you were there and it might mean something to you because you have this extra baggage of like the time it was shot yeah. and the feeling you got when you shot it mm-hmm. and you think it might actually translate and sometimes it doesn't translate. The, the feelings you see that because you shot it and you were there might be different than a person who wasn't there. Wow. Yeah. And that's important to kind of recognize sometimes is that, you know, you might have some attachment to a photo, but nine out of 10 people might just go, 
I don't know what you're, what you see in this photo, why you like it, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there going like, what the hell? It's so cool. It's like, but you know, you're, you might be remembering the time yep. instead of actually looking at the photo itself. So she's helped in that way. I know I help her with stuff like that. You know, I think, you know, it's tough sometimes because I'll, you know, give a critique and then, you know, she's pissed about it. <laughs> but ultimately it works out, you know, where I think she knows that my best interests is her. I, I've always been like a, a rising tide floats all boats type of person. So, mm-hmm. um, what? you know, I want to, <clears throat> ultimately I want to help her. And I think having her have a successful career, you know, is better for, better for both of us, better for her. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I'm telling her, giving her critiques for is out of jealousy or something like that. You know, I think that mm-hmm. people tend to think that like, Oh, you don't want me to use that photo because, you know, you think it'll make me, you know, make me more known or, or you're jealous of it or something like that. It's like, yeah. no, I want you to be successful, you know, like, yeah. so everything I say, everything I say is for your betterment, you know, and if I say something that you don't like, it's, it's only to help you, you know? Yeah. What do you, what do you like about her work? She's more patient than me. Hmm. She's a lot more patient. I, yeah, I, I, I get jealous a lot of times of her photos she she shoots way less and but she's more picky and so her proof sheets are filled with like great photos you know whereas i might have you know one or two photos on a proof sheet that i like and she's got like five or six i feel like uh, because she's slower and she'll talk to people she gets these portraits on the streets that you know i tend to just kind of like walk up and shoot people and and keep walking and mm. And a lot of times I look back and go, yeah, I wish I would have stopped and talked to that person. I'm, I'm too lazy sometimes. I, I don't want to put in the half an hour it's going to take to talk to this person and get the, get the good photo, but she, she does that. And so I'm jealous of that. Mm-hmm. And she just has a different eye than I have. And that's kind of interesting too, even though we're oftentimes shooting back to back or we're together when we go out walking and stuff. But yeah. She looks she different things and looks for different things that I look for. Yeah. No, that's really amazing. And I guess just to kind of wrap up, like you've uh, been like a working artist for for a long time. Um, you, you've you've done a lot. Like, what is it about photography and I guess all your artwork in general that kind of keeps you going? What do you enjoy about it? And uh, any anything you're hoping to do in the future? I guess. Yeah, I mean, what keeps me going is that full circle aspect that I mentioned. It's uh, the idea of making making a painting or or making a collection of photographs and sharing it with the world Mm -hmm. getting the feedback this happens on instagram this happens in a book form this happens in an exhibition form i mean that's what it's that's what it's about for me is just sharing it and getting that getting that feedback and having those eyes on it having people comment on it um that's the that's the full circle conversation Mm mm-hmm and I do the same with other people. You know, it's like I, I'm a big fan of looking at people's books and people's exhibitions. So it's like the fact that I get to be part of that world is is something that I don't take for granted. And that's that's why, what keeps me going is that I just want to keep doing this because mm-hmm. I'd rather not be digging, digging ditches. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, uh, Ed, can't thank you enough. Oh, yeah, last question. I had to ask you. This will be the last one. What's your favorite no toy? What's your favorite favorite toy machine video? Oh gosh, um, 
I'm a heavy metal guy, but I'm interested to hear what your favorite one is. I feel like it's hard. I, each one is such a different period of life for me that it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard to like say. <laughs> I get the most feedback from people about Welcome to Hell. Yep. <clears throat> to this day, I still like that's the most I get. You know, I'll do street walking on the street, and someone will yell, "Welcome to Hell," <laughs> and uh, that happens. And then, um, but what's funny is like, jump off a building. Mm-hmm was a video that I edited myself. So I like built that video. So that, that has a special yeah. thing in my head. That's like, cause it's like one that I made myself. Whereas welcome to hell was like pretty much a hundred percent Jamie Thomas. You know, I let him just do go, go for that one. And that, and that's, that's why that was such a great video because I stayed out of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so jump off a building has a special thing for me. And then, but then at, on a personal level, like I think, for, for the age that I was as an older pro, like I feel really proud of good and evil that I was able to like make a part that, yeah. you know, wasn't, wasn't necessarily like a stinker part kind of thing. <laughs> I think, at least I think so. Yeah. You know, like at, at that age. Um, so I don't know. Those, those three yeah. I really like. Um, I get it. Man. Heavy it's, metal. All... it's hard. I mean, so, so I mean, I'd probably just say welcome to hell because that one was like such a, a game changer. Yeah. So for sure, I'm sure welcome to hell is my, my favorite, like ha- having the cover and then being part of that video that I think changed so many kids lives. Mm. It's really, uh, an honor to be part of it. Yeah, definitely. I love them all. But, uh, like I said, Ed, I can't thank you enough. This is like a real pleasure talking to you. I can't thank you enough. And for people listening, uh, where's the best place to check out your work? I have, uh, uh, website edtempleton.com ed-templeton.com I think Um, I have an Instagram that shares some work even though I try to keep the work mostly for books and shows and only I try to only share work that's already in a book Mm. and not really let the cat out of the bag on the work that will be coming down the line so a lot of stuff on Instagram is stuff that's already been in books or kind of outtake type stuff Mm. I'll share a new photo here once in a while, but, um, so there's, that's the way. And then, um, that's the main ways, I guess. Perfect. Well, I'll... <laughs> or pick up a book. Pick yeah. Up a book. Go to, um, yeah, go to arts. Local, uh, um, yeah, arts. Get, and... get that new one. Um, I'll, I'll... yeah. Um, yeah. com. That's both the last two books are available still on there. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, uh, Ed, thanks yeah. so much. I'll link it and people can go check it out. And, uh, thanks again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I actually want to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. PicDrop's a really great tool for whenever you need to send off your files to your clients or whoever you're working with. You can create uh, private galleries, different folders um, for whatever assignments you're working on. Um, your clients can actually write notes on the photos and rate them. Um, it's just a really easy way to organize all your photos in one spot. Um, it's actually designed by photographers, so they really understand what photographers need. Um, for years, I was using like Dropbox and WeTransfer and things like that. Um, but with PicDrop, uh, they really went the extra mile, and I can't say enough about it. Um, I've been using it for a while and uh just really enjoy it and actually with today's podcast if you enter the promo code photo banter 
you're going to get three months free when you sign up at pickdrop.com. Um, so definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think. And remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER and you'll get three months free when you sign up at pickdrop.com. And also, I decided to give a big thank you to our guest, Ed Templeton. Uh, like I said, I've been a big fan of him um, from his days as a, a professional skateboarder to all his artwork and everything he's doing. Just a real creative force. Um, definitely go check out Ed's website at ed-templeton.com as well as his Instagram at ed.templeton. Um, I'll link it in the description, but he's just always updating uh, different creative projects he's working on, so definitely go check that out. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, as well as my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.